I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. No score early in the second period. Carolina and the New York Islanders later on tonight. It is game one between the Avalanche and the Sharks. In an hour, the Oil Kings face off in Prince Albert. Game five of their best of seven East final. It is tied at two wins each. The Doyle Cup starts tonight in Brooks. The AJHL champion Bandits will be taking on the Prince George Spruce Kings. Finalists for Coach of the Year in the NHL. St. Louis's Craig Berube, the Islanders Barry Trotz, and Tampa Bay's John Cooper. In Sudbury today at the SO Cup, the St. Albert Slash winning the semifinal of the Midget Female AAA Championship, 2-1 in overtime over Saskatoon. Madison Willen gets the game winner, so they will play for their third consecutive national title tomorrow at 2 against either Stony Creek or Sudbury. They meet in the other semifinal. Baseball tonight, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Making his Blue Jays debut in the second inning, he grounded out to first base. It is now into the top of the fourth. The Blue Jays leading the Athletics 2-0. We'll keep you updated on that game. And between 6.30 and 7 tonight, we will talk to Edmonton's Mike Johnson, former pitcher with the Montreal Expos, former teammate of Vlad Guerrero Sr. So he'll give us some perspective on, uh, on that family and seeing Vlad Jr. make his debut tonight. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Hope your weekend is off to a great start. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, the Alzheimer's face-off, the Pro-Am this weekend at the Terwilliger Rec Center. A bunch of uh, former Oilers, NHL alums taking part. Uh, Rob Brown, our own Rob Brown, in that tournament, as is this man who we're pleased to have on the line, the one and only George Larac. George, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Good memories, man. 630 Chad, good memories. It reminds me of my old days that I used to uh, be on the radio with you guys. Well, it's great to have you on again, man. Uh, and you're uh, hitting the ice for a great cause this weekend with the Alzheimer's face-off. Man, uh, this this must be fun for you to hit the ice with a bunch of, with a bunch of hockey fans and with a bunch of former pros too. Yeah, no, it's always fun. Uh, you know, I'm I'm part of the also the hockey helps the homeless. I will be back in May to do the same things with uh, with alumni NHL players, and uh, this weekend with. Uh, other alumni for another great cause, the Alzheimer is just awesome. Playing hockey together, uh, you know, telling stories about uh, our different uh, era 
when we played hockey and uh, you know and, and playing with guys with people that are uh, you know raising money that uh, raise a lot of money uh, for the cause to play with us so it's just awesome and it makes it a great weekend well, that, that's cool you're doing this, and hockey helps the homeless. I, I had uh, Robin Brownlee in studio last night, Murray Soroka from the Jasper Place Wellness Center to, to tee that up, so that's another great cause great cause for sure. Uh, when you get out there with, uh, I, I know there are some, some former Oilers and some former uh, teammates that you're going to see this weekend or maybe already have seen, does it pick, do the relationships pick up right where they left off, or what's it, what's it like being around some of those guys again? Well, it's, the thing is, is you know, you, you never. We have memories that we will never forget. Is the 2006 the the cup run? So, you know, I, I see those guys all the time, like Rafi Torres. I see them in many charitable tournaments. Jason Smith, Ethan Morales, Fernando Pseni. I see those guys all the time, and we always talk about that run and and not just that. How much fun we had in the dressing room. Uh, we we had we had such a tight team. It was such a, a close family that we, uh, you know, we talked about this all the time, and it's just awesome to to all get together and to uh, to talk about everything. When uh, when you mingle with the fans and and some of the people who are going to be uh, joining you on the ice this weekend, like what do people ask you about, George? Like, is it 06? Is it about is it about the fights? Is it about the hat trick? Like, I'm curious. What what, what do you get asked the most? <laughs> To, to be honest with you, the first thing people are telling me is thanks for being such a great ambassador for the city because I've done so much charity work in the city and I still do. That is awesome. That is the first thing that people talk about is this. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's the the cup run in 2006, but often it's the hat trick. Uh, the hat trick is such a great memory. And, and I know the others have played that memory many times. Uh, you know, when they call me remembering uh, one of the greatest moments, you know, in all his history. And the fact that my hat-trick wasn't there is just awesome. You know, a tough guy that scored a hat-trick in Edmonton. So, no, it's just awesome. We talk about the years that we're here and uh, how great that it was. And, and sometimes the fans talk to me about, actually somebody was talking to me today about, you remember when I was, uh, when I signed in Phoenix and then I was at the bounce and I was signing autograph and I signed autograph for 10 hours? Uh, it was my thank you to the fans, and and then and then I said it was going to be a couple hours, but these people kept coming, kept coming, and kept coming, and for ten hours I signed autograph, and then I told James, James Stewart, that was uh, running the bounce at that time, I said stop, uh, stop announcing people that I was still signing because my hands were shaking and I couldn't do it anymore. My God, that's incredible! I don't, I don't know how you were able to still lift the pen. <laughs> <laughs> Good for yeah, you. Yeah, I was shaking. Yeah, I was shaking after it was. I didn't think it was going to be that long, but I didn't want to cut the line since I was going to Phoenix. And man, it was long. But at the same time, it worked my heart to 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 get that support. And I think in total, when they counted it, I I signed over eight thousand autographs uh, that day uh, when I signed for ten hours. That is amazing. George Larac joining us on Inside Sports tonight. You mentioned the 2006 Cup run. I want to tie that into something that's happened this year in the playoffs, George. You guys were big underdogs against Detroit in the first round, big gap in the standings in terms of points, and you beat them in six. And this year we see Columbus 
barely make the playoffs, way behind Tampa Bay in the standings, weren't supposed to do very well. Not only do they beat them, but but they sweep them. Like did did that bring back you know any any uh, well I'm not maybe not bring that memories because you you do talk about it a lot like you said, but maybe that reminder there's maybe no such thing as an underdog once you get into the pl- the playoffs. Anything can happen. What? Well, actually, there's two things. In 2006, I'm superstitious, so what I'm going to say might sound crazy. But the reason why we won against Detroit, because we're supposed to lose. I don't know if you remember when uh, Wickenheiser, when uh, Detroit, the guy threw the octopus on the ice, Wickenheiser had plastic glove under his glove, and he went to pick up the, the, the octopus and put it in the garbage by our bench. And when he did that, it was to break the curse. People in Detroit, they didn't know what to do. Their fans didn't know what to do because they used to scream at that guy and after, right? And when we picked it up, we kind of broke that curse and then we beat them after. So I'm superstitious. So I'll say it's because of that that we beat Detroit. <laughs> but, you know, if you look at if you look at Columbus, uh, actually, you know, all the teams that finished first in the division this year, they're all out. First time in NHL history that every leader of the division are out. And the reason for that is actually quite simple. If you look at that, every team that cruised that already were in the playoff, you know, they were comfortable. But all the teams that got in, that beat them, like Columbus, they were playing playoff hockey the last 10 games of the year. They were playing for their survival. When they got into the playoff, the level of hockey and desperation was so high that Tampa was never able to, to match that up. They cruised to a 130-point season or whatever amount of point that they had. So for them, they never had any adversity. And now every team that had adversity advanced. And that was a disadvantage to the team that was already there, just waiting wait, waiting for a series that they thought it was going to be easy. And now next thing you know, they were surprised. But, you know, if you look at the series, they were dominated. Pittsburgh got dominated by the Owl. And it's all about that. It's not just about the skills, but it's about the level of hockey that you play before getting into the playoff that gives you momentum. George, you know the the playoffs. Everything gets ramped up. There's the the, the speed is, is is ramped up. The intensity is ramped up. Shift after shift, any little bounce could change the direction of a series. You know, and when when you were in the NHL, you know you you played a very specific role. You had to defend your teammates. You had to be be tough all the time and intimidate when it was needed. And then you go into the playoffs where sometimes it can be called differently. You know, you don't want to risk taking a penalty or, or, or doing something that could put your team behind the eight ball. Like, did you have to, did you find there were changes for you personally going into the postseason? Did you have to take a different approach? Or what was it like when it transitioned into playoff hockey for you? Actually, no, because I felt really lucky. When I was in Edmonton, the world will play sports line hockey. And I worked really hard to be able to play, like, close to 10 minutes a game, whether it was regular season or playoff hockey, because most tough guys, when playoff hockey comes, they don't play. And I've always played in the playoff because I was always fortunate enough to be a factor when there's no fighting, which is with physical play. I even remember there's one year in the playoff that – you know, I led the team in, in scoring in the playoffs. So, no kidding, we were out in the first round against Dallas again. If, if you're tough guys are leading in points, there's a problem. But it's just to, to show that, you know, fortunately in the playoff, I was able to, to be a contributor, like, by playing physical and having the out points once in a while, uh, you know, to contribute, to help out the team. But, uh, you know, playoff is the best part of hockey. And in, in, you look at Ryan Reeves, which uh, 
uh, you know, now he's the toughest guy in the NHL, but he converted his game into a, gr- a good a good player. He had 11 goals this year. Now he plays 10 minutes a game in the playoff is a factor. And just last year, you know, they eliminated the Jets because of him, the way that he handled Buffalo and all those guys. So big guys that could play in the playoff that plays physical, best out of seven against the same team. It makes a big difference. And you work down the, the, uh, like the other Ds, so then your top lines could have an easier job to get in. Yeah, well said about Ryan Reeves. He's he's quite a story. He was fun to watch this season. When, when you see the, I mean, Kadri got suspended for the rest of the first round for that uh, cross check on DeBrusque, and, and I know a lot of people say, well, if you let, you know, if there was more fighting, if if uh, if you let players feel like they could fight a little more, it, it would deter players like that. I, I'm just wondering what you think of of that and what you thought of the suspension to Kadri to just totally take him out of that series. Well, Kadri deserved it. It's second year in a row that he does that. Last year did the same thing, and his team lose again. He does that again. So, you know, I understand why you want to stick up for Marlowe, but don't do it with your stick. Do it like a man. Drop your glove and go. That's why, like, that's the type of stuff I don't like. If you're a man, don't use your stick. Your stick is a weapon. If you would have dropped the glove and went at him, you wouldn't have got to spend the rest of the series. But using your stick like this, you could kill somebody. And that's why it's gutless to do that. So he totally deserved that. So when I look at that, and then the second year in the world, second year in the world that you do that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that it might have been his last game as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, George, it's always great to have you on the show. I know you're busy, so thanks for making time for us here on Inside Sports. Uh, have fun with the Alzheimer's face-off at Terwilliga Rec Center this weekend, and uh, we'll see if you go first overall in the draft tonight, man. All the best. <laughs> well, just one thing. If I do go in there, it's surely not the same thing as in the NHL, but, but I'll take it if I do go in the top. <laughs> Right on. Thanks, George. George Larac checking in tonight on Inside Sports. As he mentioned, part of the Alzheimer's face-off and then also Hockey Helps the Homeless coming up on uh, May 10th. And we had a segment on that last night with Robin Brownlee and Murray Soroka from the Jasper Place Wellness Centre. Vlad Guerrero Jr., his second at-bat of the game for the Toronto Blue Jays tonight. He flies out to left. Blue Jays continue to lead the A's 2-0. That game now into the top of the fifth. We'll talk more about that with former ex- I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Post pitcher and Edmontonian Mike Johnson later on this hour here on Inside Sports. It's 6.18. We're back after the break. You're listening to 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. The uh, flyout by Vladdy Jr. is second at bat. Not a routine flyout. Deep to the wall down the left field line. Chad Pinder jumping it and catching it for the Oakland A's. Wouldn't have been a home run, but probably would have bounced off the wall for a double. A lot of hype there for Guerrero Jr. playing for the Blue Jays tonight. No score. 8.50 left in the second period between the New York Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes. We will keep you updated on that game. The Oil Kings about 45 minutes away from starting their game in Prince Albert. 
as that series is tied 2-2. Here's Jake Neighbors from the Oil Kings. Yeah, I think we just got to stick to our game plan. We got to get back to pushing the pace of the game. We were kind of playing into their hand a little bit, so we got to get back to skating, moving our feet, and, and playing fast, playing north, so um, that they got to keep play with us kind of thing. So set the pace of the game. A um, bit more physical, a bit more contact, and, uh, you know, lots more shots. I think one thing we looked at is our shot volume was way way down in game four, so that's got to be better. All right, that series tied 2-2. Oil Kings have done really well. They will try to keep it going tonight against Prince Albert. George Larac on the show earlier this half hour. Nice to catch up with him as he gets set to play in the Alzheimer's face-off at the Terwilliger Rec Centre. Bam texting in. He says, my best jersey is a signed one that George donated and I bought for a, a bunch for a worthy co- from, a, from a worthy cause. You are great, George. James says, after the Oilers run in the 80s and early 90s and then the breakup of all the greats, Big George, probably the most popular Oiler since then, always a class act. That is from James. Well, I think he'd be on a short list. Most popular Oiler since the boys on the bus were broken up and went to L.A. and the Rangers and Toronto and other parts of the NHL. You'd have to put McDavid up there. You'd have to put Ryan Smith up there. And well, Lorac probably in the top five. I mean, Doug Waite was pretty popular. Jason Smith was pretty popular. Certainly Cujo was uh, was popular. Some of those guys were not here for as long a time as, uh, as say, Smith or Lorac or didn't achieve the point totals that McDavid is in the process of achieving but yeah uh, popular guy for sure always good to interview him and uh, great stories from George as well great to have him on the show the finalist for NHL coach of the year if you miss these Craig Berube from St. Louis when he took over they were 30th in the 30 team NHL at 7-9-3 they went 38-19-6 under Berube Barry Trotz of the Islanders the team improved by 23 points and they cut their goals against down by 100 296 last year, 196 this season. And John Cooper, of course, the coach of the 62-win Tampa Bay Lightning. This does not include the playoffs. I don't get a vote in this, but there are some uh, broadcasters who do. Jack and Bob get to vote on this one. I think John Cooper might win it this year because I think a lot of a lot of the voters are just going to say, wow, they won 62 games. It, it, this is the year to give it to the President's Trophy coach. Uh, and, and Cooper's been, and I think sometimes with Coach of the Year too, there's a little bit of a body of work aspect to it. Who's been a good coach for several years? Who's had a lot of good teams, but maybe has never won it or hasn't won it in, in a while? Uh, so that might put Cooper over the top this year. If, if top this year, if it were me, it would be Trotz, just because it was a complete transformation of how the Islanders played and what they were able to achieve compared for last year. I probably would have voted for Trotz first, Berube second, and then either Cooper or Bill Peters third from the Calgary Flames. I would have had to think about that one. I think I think Cooper's going to win it. Trotz would have got my first place vote. Trotz's Islanders in a scoreless tie with Carolina. Don't forget, some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. They have their brunch, Northern Chicken style. Buttermilk biscuits, sausage gravy, and smashed potatoes. Sundays, 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. Visit NorthChickenYEG.com. Visit them in person, 124th Street and 107th Avenue. Former Montreal Expo, former teammate to Vlad Guerrero Sr., Mike Johnson, coming up after the news.
Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Half an hour away from the Oil Kings starting Game 5 in Prince Albert. We will keep you updated. Another big one for the Oil Kings in their playoff drive. No score. Three and a half minutes left in the second period between the Islanders and the Hurricanes. And we keep an eye on the Blue Jays game as well. They lead the Athletics. 2-0 after 5. Vlad Guerrero Jr. playing 3rd, batting 5th. He is 0-2 for 2 so far in that game. Oh, I should mention too, the Oil Kings back home for Game 6. Don't forget that's a 2 o'clock start at Rogers Place on Sunday. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in and I'm pleased to welcome back to the show former big league pitcher, Edmonton's own Mike Johnson. Mike, how are things, man? Good, Reed. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's great to have you on the show again. Always enjoy talking to you, man. We got we got a lot to get to, and thanks for uh, fitting us in because I know you got a lot going on. Uh, uh, how are things going at the Five Tool Fieldhouse these days? Good, staying pretty busy. A lot of people starting to get ready for the season, so hopefully, hopefully the field stay closed for a little bit longer, and we stay busy here. Tell me a little bit about uh, about. I know we've talked about it before, but just as a refresher, people who haven't heard heard us a little bit, tell us a little bit about the the history of the Five Tool Fieldhouse and and uh, what kind of things go on there. Uh, well, we opened up in November 2017, and uh, really just batting cages that people can come in. They can uh, come in recreational. We can have teams coming in do tryouts or run practices out of here and. Pretty much anything, anything that anybody wants to do, as far as uh, as far as a bat and a ball, they can come in and take some swings and have groups come in, just uh, kind of like team building events and stuff too. But uh, lots of options. All right, and well, and the beauty of it is that in the in this climate, you can work on baseball year round. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially, never know what these Edmonton summers are going to give us. So I just thought it'd be a good option for people to to always have if they want to go indoors. Well, and obviously you, you you well said because it might snow this weekend. So <laughs> yeah. So, so so there you go. How, you know how did you how did you keep sharp as a player growing up here? Because obviously that would have cut into some of the stuff you could you could have done uh, in the winter. Did you did you what? How did you work around that when uh, when you were a teen and and working towards being a pro pitcher? Um. Well, actually, I played a lot of school sports in the wintertime, so. I would play on my team in Team Alberta, and and uh, during the summer, <laughs> during the summertime, and then during the winter time, I play volleyball, basketball, badminton, run track, kind of doing a lot of school sports. Didn't have a lot of camps or anything that were kind of going on during the winter time. Um, there was the baseball Alberta winter camp that was basically one or two days a week that I would go to, but um, I don't know. For the most part, just played other sports. Well, and that's an interesting story that you tell, and I, I wind up asking this of a lot of parents and, and coaches. There, there's a lot of specialization with kids right now, and, and for, for a lot of kids playing hockey, it's, it's an 11-month commitment because they might play spring hockey and, and do some things in the summer, but you were, you were, uh, you were doing everything when, when you were a kid then until... Because what, what age would, have you, would you say you primarily were just consider yourself a baseball player? I mean, I would say all the way up until I was drafted. I mean, I wow. started playing baseball when I was four years old, but like pretty much tried everything, like everything from like like I said, like bowling to badminton to you kind of name it, kind of did everything. And then yeah, I mean, I would always play during the summertime, but to sit there and say that like I specialized in one sport over the course of a year, I. I don't think I ever did that until I actually got drafted and it became my profession. 
that's a that's amazing because I I wonder how many uh, players who you know have been drafted into Major League Baseball in the last five years would say that you know like it would, would you you got to think it's changed quite a bit. Yeah, I mean. Well, you never. I, there's still some out there. I mean, look at the NFL draft this year, and the guy that went first overall oh, was point. a first-round pick with with Oakland. So, I mean, there's dual-sport guys out there. They're probably few and far between, especially at that caliber. But um, if you you look, I mean, you see a lot on social media as far as guys saying like specializing. They played everything they could, and I mean, you just think about it like different sports, whether. It, pertains to hockey or whether it pertains to baseball you can take pretty much a piece of any sport and apply it to whatever you want to consider like your main sport so i think it's pretty valuable to try try different things and the other thing too is you don't get bored of it so mike johnson joining us on inside sports with the five tool field host and of course a former montreal expos pitcher and that's why i got in touch with, you with this afternoon because uh vlad guerrero jr making his debut for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, and you spent uh, about five seasons as a teammate of Vlad Guerrero, now senior. He was just Vlad Guerrero at the time, uh, with the Montreal Expos, where where re- he really came to prominence and became a really popular expo, uh, you know, late 90s and, and into the 2000s. He, you know, he was, a, he was a young guy. What do you remember about a, a young, you know, Vlad Guerrero getting to know him as, as a teammate with the Expos? Um... Well, first off, like he was a real quiet guy. Um, obviously, coming from Dominican, didn't speak speak a lot of English. But um, I think one of the biggest things about Vladdy that I remember is just the joy that he had in playing. Like I know, like he's playing in the major leagues and the high level and being the player that he was. But there weren't too many guys. There weren't too many guys. Really, the only other guy that I can kind of think of that kind of went on that level was Pedro Martinez as far as the, the joy that they had every time they came to the park. And I think with that, it probably helped him. Granted, he was an unbelievable talent to kind of go with it, but just kind of the ease that he played with. He just had, he just had fun, and the game came easy to him. And it's not an easy game, as we all know. So, um, no, he's a pretty special player. Any, any moment for you? Because uh, 97... <laughs> was the first year he he uh, had significant play time he played 90 games and then he played almost every game in 98 so you were uh, you were on those teams as well i mean was there a moment in a cuz you know there's the hype and the expectations and then everybody's probably thinking well can this kid actually do it was there anything you saw Vladdy do or like okay yeah he's he's going to be fine <laughs> oh yeah i mean from i mean the time that i got to montreal i mean he was already already a superstar that the young age that he was but uh there's not necessarily like one specific moment with him it was kind of like he he was the type of guy that every time he came to the plate everybody kind of stopped and watched because he could change he could change the game all by himself even though there's nine players on the field and but he could like i said basically take over a game by himself which isn't the easiest thing to do offensively but he also could do it defensively with with uh with the speed in his arm in the outfield all right, so to give people some perspective who maybe uh, aren't, you know, were, were young when he was playing or or maybe we just need some clarity. How true is this that he would swing at anything, eye high, in the dirt, and still make good contact? Has that become, uh, uh, you know, blown up and mythologized a little bit since he's retired, or, or is there a lot of truth to that, that he could drive almost anything? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely true. I mean, there's there's... 
a true story when he was in double A with uh, the Harrisburg Senators. Pitcher threw a breaking ball down the dirt. It bounced in front of the plate. He hit it off the bounce and hit it out. <laughs> so when you say like he swings at everything, it's it's true. Just had just unbelievable athleticism and hand-eye coordination that he could he could barrel a ball up no matter where it was. And you talk to a lot of pitchers back then, and they'd say like, you try and pitch around Laddie like around the zone. Like honestly, the best place you could pitch him was right down the middle. <laughs> Because he's going to hit anything anyway, so just throw something down the middle and hope he pops it up. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's not a strategy you'd, apply, you'd, you'd deploy against most guys who could hit 40-plus home runs. No, season. not at all. That's incredible. In terms, you mentioned his energy, and you mentioned uh, the, the English. Did that... Did that improve as as he got older? Because I know there were always some stories that he that he never learned English that well. Uh, what's what's the what's your version of that? And was it was it ever tough having a guy that didn't speak a lot of English on the team? No, I think I think the both. I think the big thing with him is he's a real quiet, reserved guy. Um, we we're just kind of talking about it here before he called. How like he didn't go out. He didn't. He didn't go out and like look for any accolades from fans or anything he's just he's just a normal quiet family guy he always had his family traveling around with him but uh i think it, i think like over the years obviously first language is spanish and you kind of think about it as us trying to learn a second language and maybe not being comfortable especially doing an interview or talking talking to the media because you don't want to sound foolish so he would use an interpreter. He would use an interpreter, but um, away from the cameras, like you could have a conversation with him in English. So I think he kind of let on that he didn't speak English that well, but I think it was more of a confidence thing for him. Okay, I, I gotta just run this line by you. And, and you were on the Expos in 2000. He uh, I lost. There we go. 44 home runs, 123 RBIs. He uh, adds in 10 steals. His batting average was 345, and he finishes sixth in MVP voting. That was the year Jeff Kent won it over Bonds. Now, there were a lot of gaudy numbers, including Todd Helton, who finished fifth and hit like 370 or something. But I look at that, I'm like, how are you not in the top three in MVP voting? Was that just because he played in, in Montreal, like the Giants got all those hype? Or, or what, do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's more probably, again, kind of the market that he's playing in and and um, I'm pretty sure, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong on this. I think the media, I think the media kind of um, more votes kind of on those, on, on those yep. types of awards. And I mean, you kind of look at even kind of the record of, the track record of guys that get MVPs other than obviously now you're Mike Trout, but Anaheim has become quite a big market team now. But, uh, but yeah, they, they kind of cater, they kind of cater to those, the higher market guys, the more kind of flamboyant guys. And like I said, Vladdy, for even the numbers that he put up, like kind of flew underneath the radar as far as wanting the attention um, for the numbers that he put up on the field. I mean, you can kind of say the same thing as far as Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame voting and Larry Walker. I mean, nobody can dispute Larry Walker's, Larry Walker's numbers, but people seem to think that because he played in Colorado that, he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And I know that there's a lot of people, peers, peers included, that would disagree with that. All right. Do you have any recollections of Vlad Jr.? Was there any overlap or a meeting with him when he was a very a very small Guerrero? 
Yeah, so I don't know if you remember, like, I'm sure they're, like, circulating around, like, social media and stuff, those those young pictures of him in an Expos uniform, like, tipping his cap with his dad in the field. Yeah, I seen that today, yep. Yeah, yeah, I was I was at those games, so I remember, I like, Vladdy Jr. was around all the time and looked just like he did, three years old, like, in those pictures. And I was kind of laughing today. I was, I, was, I was talking to someone and saying, like, we had a soft serve ice cream, soft serve ice cream machine in our clubhouse, and every after every single game, Vladdy Jr. would come in and crush ice cream. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you get to see his at bats tonight, Mike? I know you're busy, but no, I'm watching the game right now. Oh, so, you got it all right. Saw the saw the first one where umpire kind of called a strike that was a little bit outside on him, and and then the the fly ball that he just missed hitting the home run on. Yeah, I mean, how do you think, uh, just, I mean, obviously high-rated prospect, he's got all the pressure, but so cool for him to be in, in, in Canada, can't be in Montreal, so he's in, in Toronto. I mean, you must really be pulling for him, and you must love seeing Vlad Sr. there as well. Oh, yeah, no, it's great, like, and I was listening to uh, Dan Schulman on, Dan Schulman on, on the air, and he kind of wrapped, he kind of, like, put it all in perspective, saying, like, Vlad Senior for everything that he accomplished in the game and the type of player player that he was tonight. He's just dad watching his son play, which is which is pretty cool if you think about it. All right, I'm going to throw one more at you, and I know you've been in studio uh, because when you were in, people were texting you questions as well. I got a uh, listener from Glendon, Jeremy, who texts in all the time. He, I, I met him at uh, a lot of Oilers games this season too. He says, Reed, do you mind asking Mike what he thinks it would take to bring high-caliber baseball back to Edmonton? Does he think it would work here again? Mike, that's a tough one. I don't know if we're getting double uh, A, triple A, single A here because of the travel with all the teams in the states. And I, mm-hmm. personally, I think the prospects have carved out a pretty good niche for what for what they do with that league. But uh, I wonder, you know, Jeremy wants to know what you think of that. Um, well, first of all, the, the the Edmonton prospects are doing a great job um, offering high caliber baseball for an affordable family price for people to go out and obviously experience experience in a good atmosphere down at, at uh, Remax but uh, as far as affiliate baseball the only thing that I kind of tell people when I get this question is more frequent than you kind of think is obviously the group that comes in here the big issue is everything's kind of paid in American dollars so salaries are paid in American dollars and, and these groups are paying, paying, paying the players and they have to put up living and they have to pay for travel well Canadian dollars compared to the American dollars costing an owner that comes in here a heck of a lot more than it does anybody down the state. And with where we are up in Edmonton, I think the only the only way it would work is if there were other affiliates in Canada. So whether that be like a Winnipeg and a Calgary or maybe somewhere. I know there's one in Vancouver, but it's low A. Mm-hmm. But there would have to be other teams in the local area to keep costs down. Um for any groups that come in so obviously those groups would run into the same issue but um so i just think it's going to be really difficult for for that i know that there's a fan base and edmonton's shown it in the past but the fan base i think it's just more of the financial the financial burden of bringing a team in here is kind of the big issue yeah, well, I mean, the the Pacific Coast League, when, I mean, you and I would have been kids in the 80s with Ron Kittle, and then Salmon yeah. came up through here. I mean, Calgary had a team, Vancouver had a team, I think Spokane, and maybe even Portland had teams, so you had kind mm-hmm. of a Northwest cluster. There's not really that 
that it's just the the map doesn't work right now i think yeah yeah like i said especially especially with no other canadian teams i mean i'm just thinking off the top of my head like your closest travel team would be like a tacoma uh in that in the pcl so i mean it's a pretty long haul you're not going by bus or you're flying everywhere so it just it just becomes like i said i think just a little bit unmanageable for a group coming in unless there's something a little bit more local to uh to travel to mike how can people look up uh info on the five two field house uh they can they can go to our website five two fieldhouse.com um if they're looking to come and hit at the cages they can email or they can call in um, all the information is on our website. Our phone number is 780-752-8665, or they can email me or my my assistant at info at 5toolfieldhouse.com. Mike, love having you on the show. We'll have to try to get you in this summer, man. Love chatting with you, and thanks for your memories of Vlad Guerrero, man. Thanks a lot, Reed. Take it easy. That is Mike Johnson checking in tonight, former Montreal Expo, and, of course, uh, as he talked about, they're running the 5-2 Fieldhouse in Edmonton, doing a lot of great work. So there you had it, Kellen. He remembers Vlad Jr. going in and crushing soft-serve ice cream <laughs> in the Expos, uh, in there the you Expos go. locker room. That's incredible. Well, you know what? Good good story. Guerrero was uh, my favorite Expo from that era. Loved watching him play. Hopefully Guerrero Jr. able to do well for the Expos. He is uh, now 0 for 3 tonight, but the Blue Jays lead Oakland 2-0 after 6. It is 6. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 51, quick timeout, Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6.30, Chet. All right, always enjoy having Mike Johnson on the show. You also heard from George Larac earlier this hour, so we are off and running on Inside Sports. You ever miss anything or you want to catch it again, subscribe to the Inside Sports podcast on iTunes or simply go to the page for the show on 630ched.com and everything will show up there. After 7, we will go down to Bakersfield, the Oilers farm team, the Condors, with a 2-1 series lead in a best of five against the Colorado Eagles. They'll try to finish it off on home ice tomorrow. We'll talk to Condors captain Keegan Lowe about what has been a very good season so far for the Condors. Also, Bob Beers, Boston Bruins broadcaster will join us as the Bruins got the overtime win last night against Columbus and will welcome Kent Verlick to the show as well. He's the CEO of Horse Racing Alberta. Oilers now with Bob Stoffer, noon to 2 every weekday on 6.30. Ched Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet on the show earlier today. His quote about the Oilers, Elliot saying, I think you're in your second phase right now. And I think the Oilers are down to probably three people. I think they interviewed a lot of people, but I think they're down to about three and he says Mark Hunter is one, Kelly McCrimmon is another one, and uh, Friedman, this is for the, the GM position, and uh, he says he's not sure who the third 
candidate is, but he also said, I always leave the wild card is, what does Ken Holland want to do? I've been on Ken Holland at the beginning as someone who would be very much on the Oiler radar if he was interested. I don't have the answer to that at this point in time, but I do believe that if he's interested, he is very much a factor. And uh, as we've kind of been expecting here, uh, the World Under-18 tournament ending on the 28th. So that's what? That's on Sunday. We, You know what? We could have a GM next week. Now, that's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. We could have an inside sports next week where we're talking about a new general manager for the Edmonton Oilers. Definitely yet another thing to follow. Do you want to do golf right now, Kellen? Do we have the two more passes today? Yeah. We have another pair of passes for 18 holes at the Ranch Golf and Country Club, now open for the season, a championship-caliber course, proud to have hosted several Canadian Tour events. 780-496-0063 today. We will do caller number... Four. Caller number four, 780-496-0063. A pair of 18-hole golf passes to the ranch. Still no score, Hurricanes and Islanders, after two periods. We'll keep you updated, and we're back with Keegan Lowe from the Bakersfield Condors. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.